folks, it's great to see you again or have you on our audio. Uh, I'm David Meredith and I'm the host today for the Generation Podcast, a podcast with uh, maybe a Scottish accent but an internationalist perspective where we talk about ministry and mission and where we have interesting guests. Um, my guest today is an old friend, uh, Lewis Allen. Lewis, welcome. Thanks, David. Good to be with Lewis, you. you. You are the pastor of Hope Church in Huddersfield, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, I'm one of one of two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I remember exactly where we were when we first met. Can you remember? Was it at Smithton? It was, and you were on sabbatical. I was in there. Yeah. and uh, you and Sarah <laughs> came along, and you were very attentive and very encouraging. <laughs> and uh, okay, Lewis, tell us. Uh, a little bit about your story. A, a lot of the folk who are our listeners have, don't know who you are, don't know much about you. Just give us a little pen portrait of how you became a Christian and how you became a pastor. Yeah. So starting now and working back and being very brief because everybody's story is not that interesting to other people. Um, uh, I'm 50 years of age. Um, and married to Sarah, we've got five children who are between ages 24 and 15. Uh, and so I've been in ministry for I think about 24 years now. Uh, I came from a fairly secular background. My mum had a spurt of church attendance when I was about four, and I can remember walking up to the font being to be baptised um, and feeling a real lemon because everybody else was a baby in arms, and there I was, wearing velvet velvet shorts or something like that. You were but then very little exposure. Yeah. You were always a rebel over baptism then. Kind of thing, yeah. Carry on, um, carry on. Carry on. Um, and then, long story short, um, from a deep interest in, in the questions of life, which a lot of teenagers ask, and they read deep and pretentious books that they barely understand, um, a friend of mine who was a Christian, one of two Christians I knew, said, you have to have your own answer to who Jesus Christ is. He's at the heart of the Christian faith. You get him right, everything else, it's... it's it spoke from a hub. So um, eventually I was traipsing around um, Southeast Asia in Sumatra, Indonesia, as a 19-year-old, just backpacking with a friend. I read a Roman Catholic prayer book written in French. I studied A-level French. And, and as I read the many parts of the New Testament, particularly the Gospels, I was just dramatically struck by this conviction that Jesus Christ had been raised from the dead and he wanted to have business with me i found that really terrifying and then i think the holy spirit just helped me understand the cross how the cross made sense of the fact of my felt guilt and how the cross was a great remedy i needed and how how christ was the lordship i needed to surrender to so i got converted i perhaps thought i was a roman catholic because i'd been reading a missal i came back the friend i my good friend said i think your convictions are quite evangelical. I didn't really know what that word meant, but in the the weeks and months of reading, starting attending church, etc., lights began to dawn, connections began to be made. So that's when I was 19, keen but clueless, went to university, um, met my now wife Sarah in Freshers Week, um, worked very hard evangelizing, um, reading the Bible with people, um, lots of ministry opportunities so that just six years on uh, I was called to pastor a church which 
I would not recommend to anybody. I was, I had tons of energy, tons of ignorance. By God's wonderful grace, this large and mature congregation that I inherited shepherded me away from uh, many disasters. And that started 12 very happy years, which was in London before our call to Huddersfield. Okay, what part of London were you in? Very nice part. I recommend it, David. You've been there. You've, you've preached with us. Uh, Chiswick. So, uh, yeah, a lovely part of London um, on the river, just going west out of the middle yeah. of town. And you'd been to university, is it Oxford or the other no, one? No, the other one. Cambridge, yeah. okay. Yeah. So from Cambridge, where you studied classics, I think, is that correct? That's right, classics and theology. Okay, great. So I did two years of each. Yeah. Right, classic theology, Cambridge, and then uh, in Chiswick. Okay, carry on. Uh, happy days. Um, enjoyed the ministry. It was hard, hard work. It was often stressful. It was sometimes thrilling. Um, we kind of oversaw a baby boom. There weren't really any crèche-aged children at small Sunday school. We we led by example. Um, we had our five. We took one child to London and had um, had four more. Um, so that. Twelve and a half years in, uh, very happy congregation, very mixed ages and stages. And for an area that was uh, increasingly very expensive one to move into, we couldn't afford property there. Um, still, there was a diversity of people. So I did quite a lot of door knocking. And it was always exciting to think there's just the world is there and people from all different backgrounds were there. And that was wonderfully reflected in our congregation. Uh, that thrilling diversity, which gave me a real vision for a church of you know mixed ages and, and backgrounds. Um, we were deeply embedded, very involved uh, in the local school, knew so many people through kind of school gate stuff, having primary school aged children, brilliant local connections. And we thought, can we justify staying here? This is a happy, well-organized church community can we justify staying? And we spent several months praying, fasting, seeking the Lord's will, and really feeling again the weight of the burden for my wife's home county of Yorkshire, the largest county in England, almost the population of London. Don Carson claims the church attendance statistics of Japan, but a, a place historically of great revival um, works of God, a county which has sent missionaries across the world, and yet a county desperately short of gospel life. Um, could we justify staying in London if we had a heart for somewhere else? Okay, so you moved up to um, Huddersfield. Can I just unpack that a little bit? Because it was a, a fairly unconventional church planting method. Basically, you as a an individual, a lone wolf, if I may use that in a non-disparaging way, felt led to go to Yorkshire, to Huddersfield. Why Huddersfield? I mean, you the conventional wisdom is, you know, you there's a, a church call you there, there's a, a core group, there's a pre-launch phase, sometimes a year, two years, even up to three years, I've heard. You did none of, none of that, or you did it all in a different way, can you just maybe explain your thinking? Mm. And I don't know, yeah, the way we did it was different from most church planting models. But I'm anxious that you don't, David, hear 
any pride or any um, impatience or disregard of, of other models. I think in lots of ways I did it badly, but I think in lots of ways Lord honoured it. And in lots of ways, I think, <laughs> although we feel no calling to go elsewhere, if we were to plant, we might do it not dissimilarly. So just to unpack some of those things, we felt a strong conviction that we should really lay our lives again before the Lord and really seek him through prayer and fasting and, and seeking the wisdom and the counsel of, of people who knew us well as to whether we should be exploring this. We were putting out feelers and doing our research work about West Yorkshire because as we looked at the county, we thought, well, most of the population is in, in South Yorks or West Yorks, the old time, largely tired out post-industrial towns on the motorways. Um, and so we started looking at those towns. Where was their gospel life? Where needed more gospel work? Um, we started looking at Huddersfield, a place I'd never been to and knew about two facts about. Um, but the more we looked, we thought that there's Christian activity here. There's there's a couple of numerically big churches. There's there's a good deal of church life, though, as we could see, it was elderly. It was fast declining. The nonconformity, which had been the hallmark of um, of these northern English towns, uh, General Baptists, Methodists, was was really running out of steam. And a number of churches in each denomination had closed since we'd been in the town. And pandemic has shaken out a good number more congregations and they will close in the coming few years. So we looked at Huddersfield and we thought, actually, if we were, if we as a family moved to Huddersfield and we weren't being all niche, but we wanted really Bible-centred ministry without strong charismatic Pentecostal distinctives, we're not sure if we could find anywhere in the town, a town of 160,000. Um, was that the Lord's calling? Was that the place to go? We, we reached out to a handful of local, pastors local to Huddersfield uh, we visited, talked with them. Without exception, they're entirely supportive. And, and one of them said, we have a number of people who are traveling to us. This is a town a few miles away. They've wanted something in their town for a long time. I think there could be the real seeds there of relationships. So you could, you could really say, we just handed in my notice. Um, we explained to the elders in London what we're doing, why this is our conviction, why it wasn't. Yeah a kind of kamikaze mission um but we did just move but we moved confident we moved, we moved in two convictions well three convictions conviction number one the lord was calling us through prayer and fasting and the confirmation of a dozen close friends we made ourselves very vulnerable and open to um so it was the lord's conviction the second conviction if you can't get some church planting traction in a town of one hundred sixty thousand, maybe ministry of planting is not for you um and the third conviction we thought actually if we if we start wisely sensibly relationally that will be attractive and we hope to be attractive to the handful of people we heard were in the vicinity and who were potentially up for it okay so why did you do also that? yeah go on sorry so yeah i just no, 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 with what you did when you actually uh, arrived there and how long was it before you got a core group together to start some event yeah um just to go back on how we read the lord's guidance i think i think if i if i could go back those years this is 11 and a half years ago i think i'd have brought my elders in far earlier now i know david you think we independents we're all kind of basically lone wolves don't you and you know i very much believe in in um 
uh, in shared church leadership. I think I should have said to my elders, I think the Lord is stirring our hearts in this way. Really poor them. They basically got a letter saying, guys, I'm convinced that we should go and we will go. And I don't think that was right. We weren't rude or discourteous. They got it. I remain personal friends with them. But I think that was a wrong way to go. I should have brought them in. Um, but over that summer, we we started raising money, funds, etc. Um, the church in London were incredibly generous, really very, very generous. So we had quite a strong war chest. That said, I pegged my salary right back, took a very significant cut because we're going to a poor northern town. And we didn't want anybody to think this was a jolly, this was a jaunt, this was fun. We wanted them to know this was a great sacrifice, which we were happy and felt privileged to make. We were very public with everything, with the money, the vision, the core convictions, the rationale. We were very careful to speak only blessings on local churches and to honour the work which is which other churches are doing, which has been part of our story and convictions all the way through. We, by God's grace, never had any tension with other local churches. Um, we have a distinctives. They have their distinctives. If we can overlap and do stuff together, great. Um, but we didn't have any friction or tension from local church leaders um, as we prepared to move. So we put all that stuff out there uh, on, on a website uh, and we moved, but then the emails started coming as we were moving. Now we hear you moving in, we've seen a little video, we've heard you preach online, we've read your blog, we'd love a conversation when you move. So that really, I think it was only maybe, and we, sorry, we, we, we then got embedded in a, in a church local in the next town, town called Brighouse, um, and we, we told them that we were coming, we'd like to be part of that, we didn't know how long that would be. Some of the people who are now with us or, they came 11 years ago. They're still with us. Um, they were there. So conversations happened very naturally and easily and quickly. So much so that I thought these folks were showing interest. I don't want to have 14 identical conversations. Let's get them in the house. And then we just had a structure of meetings through the early Saturdays in the months after we made, after we arrived, whereby we invited people in. We had food together. And then just for a couple of hours, we really talked through the core kind of convictions that I was bringing. Some of them I said, these are, these are open hand things, how we might do evangelism or something. Other things, core doctrine, ecclesiologists said, these are fairly closed hand. Um, this is where I kind of, I, I need to be pursuing these convictions. Um, and the Lord and his mercy brought to us sensible, godly, emotionally intelligent people. A couple of people who I thought were kind of sniffing around for, for a role and identity and, and, and mercifully they moved on. They didn't stay with us because I think that'd been problematic. Um, but I think I can barely think of an exception. The people who turned up in our lounge in autumn of 2010 are, are with us. Um, and they've been the loyal, loving core from those days. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a great story. I think again, within the, the generation family within the free church of Scotland, we would follow fairly similar models where we do some what we call parachute plants, where a guide just goes into a situation with, with very little initially. Uh, we do other plants from other congregations. We would look at some what we call radical revitalization. And now, so you you move from a you know a church plant of about fifteen quarter, a medium sized, fairly lively congregation there in Huddersfield. What did, what did you do and have you seen many folk 
being converted, coming to faith from nowhere. Mm. My my dream and prayer, which I'm very vocal about in the church, is to see the congregation track the profile of local Huddersfield people. Um, you know, Huddersfield is a very struggling town. It's got a large university, the old Polytechnic, which was put on steroids like lots of them in, in the later 90s, which really has saved, as much as I can read, it has saved the town economically. It will be a desperately struggling place uh, because the service industry that supports the town has, you know, has, has kept jobs. Huddersfield's fortunate being on the motorway equidistant between Leeds and Manchester, so a lot of people will, will travel out to work in those places or, or Bradford or south of Sheffield. Um, the town is, it, it's a traditional northern working class town, very, very significant South Asian population, um, which is really quite self-contained uh, in lots of parts of the town. The town is, is quite zoned in terms of degrees of affluence or lack of uh, and, and ethnic distribution is, is quite zoned. There are very much more the white areas and the more South Asian areas. Um, I would love to say, David, it's just been one extraordinary, surprising conversion after another, but it hasn't been. It's been, um, we're, we're in fact not a student church. We've never tried to be a student church, but we've tried to be a church that serves students well. So we have a good student track and we've loved and trained uh, and sent students in all sorts of places through the course of our time. And, and as with any church, with any student profile, there are those quiet professions of faith. Or, you know, the bigger ones, the exciting ones. So we've had the, you know, the flow of baptisms through the years. We are not a church which is which is properly tracking regular Huddersfield people. I've got some theories as to why that is. One of our particular priorities this year, Lord willing, is that we do buy bricks and mortar. I think we're still... we. We rent a good town central secular space, but we're still too invisible. Yeah, is that the one at the railway, the railway building? That's right. So it's it's an old stone built freight yard that you've preached at, um, uh, freight building behind the, the railway. Um, your listeners need to Google image Huddersfield train station. Uh, John Betchman said it was a stately home with trains running behind it. The most incredible classical facade, which actually is really significant for the church, uh, for, for the town. Huddersfield was a wealthy town. Um, I think it's around the 1930s. There were the, the, the largest number of Rolls Royces per head of population anywhere in the country. Because the have-nots continues to have not, but all the mill owners had an awful lot. Yeah. Um, and so the town is a place of proud 19th century architecture, yeah. which is when it boomed. Yeah, your, your building was quite, quite iconic. I really loved it. I just loved the atmosphere. I would describe your philosophy of ministry as, you know, contemporary Calvinism, uh, relevant reformed. Uh, would you take these labels or would you push back? No, I'm, I'm fine with them. So we would talk about ourselves being a reformed. I'd like to come back on conversions, actually. But we talk about ourselves as being a reformed Baptist church. Um, our statement of faith is a bit like, we remember the FIC, the Fellowship of Independent Evangelical Churches. Our core centre of faith is, is, is very largely theirs. I think we're slightly stronger and more specific in some areas. So if you're a fun-loving Arminian, um, 
you love the Lord Jesus, you're born again, you want to serve in the church, you can sign our statement of faith. We'd love to have you with us, David. Um, and also, we do not stipulate uh, that members must have been baptised on profession of faith by immersion, which would mark us out from some reformed Baptist churches. Yeah. Now, you can't be an elder because we don't blush that we want to continue to be a Baptist church led by Baptistic elders. That's just normal. Um, but we, we want to link arms with people. Um, we want people to feel, if they're born again people, that hope is a place they should seriously be considering being involved in. Uh, and I want to do that more than I want to develop a niche congregation of people who just see things in a certain way. Now, I think those things are, are true and biblical, but I want to hold my convictions carefully in a, in a Catholic-hearted way. Just going back, back. oh, go on. No, no, please, I want to hear about these. So conversions, yeah. We, yeah, we have not seen enough conversions. We're not yet tracking the demographic of the town. I think a building will significantly help us, and actually an ecclesiastical building as well. So we've started a conversation. We wonder if there is a particular church building, which a bunch of us have visited uh, just the other day, where a congregation has probably um, perhaps come to the end of its life as a worshipping congregation. I think that profile, having bricks and mortar, and being able to use that as a, as a centre for all sorts of gospel-driven mercy and friendship ministry, teaching and training will, will help us enormously. But but I'll say to anybody, we haven't yet done the hard work as a church. Setting up a church is not the hard work. The hard work is developing and training and, and being more evangelistic. They're the challenges which face us. Right. And, and reaching out beyond my own class and cultural instincts yeah. and doing ministry really effectively. Yeah, I mean, I sense that you've got a healthy unease, and that's always good in a congregation to have a, a healthy unease. That, that can easily move into a, a more unhealthy rebellion and, and discontent, but I think you've hit the sweet spot. Can I just move back and something you, you touched on there? You are Cambridge grad, uh, classics, theology. You're... Clearly middle class, one of the most middle class people I know. Um, oh, yeah, you've, like a stick of rock, David, I have middle class written right through me. And yet, you know, I've always admired the fact that you, in other ways, you're, you're classless. You, you seem to be able to minister across the range. Now, there's been a lot of discussion recently in, in Christian media and all over about class. And I have to say, I've got a little bit uneasy about the kind of, class wars which is brewing i think a lot of it is unnecessary and maybe even invented can you just comment on on class and evangelism as you try to minister in a classless context yeah. or a posh boy in a working class context yeah 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 um well i think wherever we put ourselves on the class spectrum we we just don't see how we come across. And it's been a slow journey, which I'm still on, of realising how much about my instincts, the way I communicate, the way I see things, are just irritating, unhelpful to other people. So some of my friends from, who very much would say they're working class in the church and beyond say, we don't know what you think. 
you're always hedging it um i think i'm being explicit and and they just think i'm just kind of hedging it um as we all know those from a more working class background those who have more struggle in their lives or their their, their shaping years can be very direct um middle class people are a bit rocked by that they think they're being aggressive they just think they're being honest middle class people always think they're being gentle and kind and relationship building working class people just think i don't know what you mean i don't know what you're saying i think you know you you speak with a forked tongue so i don't in any way want to say it's worked i've worked there's lots of anime which just irritates people um which sometimes they tell me sometimes they don't and i think some of those are just class and cultural culturally located um i don't apologize for being being middle class hooray for my middle class parents who were very hard working saved like the blazes there was a culture of frugality the house was often pretty cold through the winter they saved where they wanted to save um i'm i'm grateful for that i'm the recipient of their hard work um no they they were they were playing the long game it was for going short term gratification for longer term blah 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 you know what i'm trying to say david um i don't blush about any of that um we could we could start ministry here because good middle class people were moved to support us financially so we're we're reaping the the fruits of other people's sacrificial generosity but i do have as we all i have my cultural blind spots i i i'm actually reaching out to people who who are died in the wool huddersfield people and seeking to train and encourage and mobilize them for ministry i think it's really regrettable that a lot of our yorkshire pulpits are filled filled with southerners but i don't join in the self-loathing um or or the discontent about that somebody's got to be reaching out to to congregations and this i think is terribly important there's a lot of talk about how people from my kind of background people like me can't really cut it because we're not authentic we we don't know the struggle um we don't speak with the right voice no we don't speak with the right voice we don't know the struggle but i'm a i'm a big believer that if if people know that you love them that you're not coming from a position of assumed authority that you're there for the long haul you want to listen to them you want to serve them you want to help them these are the things that that do go a long way um yeah run out of steam slightly no a thousand days and i think whatever we we can do to you know break down divisions at the end of the day we we do love people irrespective of who they are and you know this is a great thing about the church is the diversity the church in day 1 in acts 2 was remarkably diverse and we have to replicate that socially ethnically um yeah what and one of the reasons why <clears throat> why is only Sarah and myself with the kids who who moved north and not a team um one of the reasons was because we knew culturally we were we were traveling now Sarah's from Yorkshire but she's from North Yorkshire uh, and she grew up on a farm and that's just very very different from from where we are Huddersfield is not a destination <laughs> no, there's no tourism here people don't really want to come here so people were very very confused some of them when we came and really i think it took some people a couple of years to be sure that i wasn't leaving in a hurry 
from London that there was no backstory, there was no stink, there was no murk, there was no unhappiness. We told people this. I just think a lot of them just didn't believe us. And that's absolutely fine. They needed time to live with us to be sure that we were who we said we were. Um, but one of the reasons why we came just a pair of us was because we we didn't want the church to speak with the London accent. It's got my voice, that's bad enough, but we wanted its DNA to be Huddersfield, Yorkshire, Northern. I happen to be the guy steering and leading and, and overseeing, but it's almost making ourselves vulnerable, saying we need you local folks to make this work because without you, it, it's not going to work. It's not going to have... I wanted to reduce my cultural footprint as much as I could. So that's that's a huge reason why it was just the two of us who went. Now, we did ask one couple in our London congregation who were very relational, younger people, that time without children. We said, would you consider moving with us? They really prayed about it. That summer before we moved, they went up, they spent a, a weekend here. They prayed like the blazes. They concluded the Lord was confirming their call to be in London. And now they're in full-time pastoral ministry and we're good friends. So I'm absolutely thrilled to bits. But it wasn't devastating. We didn't come. We were, we were, we were disappointed, but we were confident the Lord would raise up local people and it needed to be a local church. Yeah. I mean, folk are always in, in these podcasts, a sense, looking for, you know, in mission evangelism, you know, tell us, lose the silver bullet, the one thing that works. My guess is that your church is like every other church in that the main focus of evangelism is people's personal witness telling their story as they as they've been informed and inspired by the preaching of the word so they gossip the gospel and talk about jesus rather than specific programs i mean i love one of the things i love for passion for life and and i would advise any of our listeners to to check it out um is a component in it that's teaching folk themselves to just speak about jesus can you comment on that? Um, yeah. We are putting on a month of events. Uh, it's our first ever one that's taking place in March. And it's kind of tracking the passion of life. We're calling it Living Hope because, as I've said to the church, this is about us living out the gospel, doing it together, presenting our hope. So we've given the church congregation three challenges the first is in the month of March, do something in your home. Now, it's taken as read that people are seeking to be salt and light with friends, colleagues, family, neighbours, etc., and looking for gospel opportunities. We're saying in the month of May, in the month of March, can you do something in your home? It could be um, it could be a film night, it could be board games, it could be coffee, it could be an activity, it could be a meal. But can you arrange something and can you make sure that there is a testimony, a short Christian talk, a Q&A? That'll be a big challenge as we we work with people to, to develop their confidence. They can do that. Um, and we want them to feel a personal challenge. So that's 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 the one thing we want them to do. The second thing, we do want people to invite to Sundays. We don't have that. There's some glorious exceptions, but we're not very far down the line having that invitational culture. So really simple preaching. Um the folks know it's business as normal. I see Sundays as, as essentially covenant worship of the Lord's people in the spirit and the Lord's day. We're one of those dinosaur churches that meets morning and evening. And we believe that's healthy and good and to be encouraged where the church family comes together to hear the preached word. So Sundays, we don't want to go crazy. 
Um, pretty much the same as ever, but but we are we're mapping out some conversations that Jesus had with people. We want our friends to come along. The third challenge is that we've got some events. So we do, I do very much believe in event focused evangelism. So we've got you know a curry and a talk. We've got a comedy night where the gospel will be explained. Um, we've also got a guy in our church who is a he hates the phrase. I tease him about it. He is a football shirt expert. So he he monetizes writing and talking about the whole culture of football shirts, kit design, etc. So he's doing it where he's bringing along his dozens and dozens of football shirts. He's walking us through these things and we'll, we'll be exploring together issues of loyalty, sacrifice, hope, belonging, and showing how the world of supporting teams and being into football shirts bleeds into the hope of the gospel. So, yes, yeah, some event evangelism. Have I gone wildly off topic, David? Does that no, at all connect you, with absolutely the, the question you asked me? So why we're putting such hard work into that is, is our leadership team is trying to serve the congregation uh, so that we do more evangelism together. Great. Okay, just um, time is, is moving on. Just a couple of other things. You've written a very helpful book on is it preacher's catechism um, mm. and you're working on something else so comment briefly about the preacher's catechism and whet our appetite about what's going to come. Yeah. The, the preacher's catechism is a book not exclusively uh, for pastors but but for all who preach regularly. As we know lots of fabulous books on how to preach my conviction of the years has been nobody's really talking about what it feels like to preach what are the temptations what are the joys what are the sorrows how do you deal with the weirdness of a monday and a tuesday where you're sitting in your study or wherever thinking what just happened what was that about um so it, it tries to get into the spiritual temptations and joys and rhythms of the preacher week in, week out, year in, year out. So it it, it does track uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Uh, at least the questions are very much framed on that. And then I'm exploring the answers um, to those questions. So, yeah, I don't think I've described it at all well. But it's a book of short 50, 60-odd um, Q&A, tracking the Westminster Shorter Catechism, exploring preaching. Okay. So that wasn't clearer. No, no, um, move on and, to the next project. Yeah. Um, but it's been a great joy, actually, with that book. I have had emails from people in the UK and North America really saying it saved their ministry. They've been at the depths of despair. They wanted to throw in the towel. They've been so discouraged. And the Lord's used the book to speak to them uh, and fire them up for, for the, next, the next stage, which is thrilling, really thrilling. Uh, the next book... Um, that book came out with Crossway and Sarah, my wife, and I have just written a book. We're just in the final editing and engagement with the publishers called Resilient Faith. And that's written for really 18s to 30s or thereabouts. People who have started the Christian life and are finding it really hard. We're in this cultural space where a lot of people are exhausted, sad, burnt out. They're waking up to how their smartphones are killing their heads and hearts. We live in a very privatised and isolated world where people don't naturally flock to gatherings and want to identify with groups and actually be loyal to groups. 
I'm thinking churches, of course, year in, year out. So we're really probing, uh, of course, with the mental health uh, epidemic and the exhaustion everybody feels post-pandemic. We're just exploring those those features of the landscape and society at the moment. And we're saying, so for you as a young person, this is what it looks like to be aware of these things and to come at them with just the the age-old disciplines of worship, Bible reading, prayer, diet, sleep, building relationships, being accountable, using your gifts, and working at perseverance in all of the above. So at times we're very detailed and very specific in the kind of counsel we're giving. It's very church-centered. Um, but we we've seen our 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 own children who are kind of at the university stage and going beyond in a world which is so very different and so much harder than the world that Sarah and I were in and in our time of life. And so we've seen that world through their lens, the young people we handle in our church where we observe culture. It's made us convinced that there's a lot of help, particularly people at that stage of life um, could, could benefit from to think about how to grow resilience as a Christian Ephesians 6, the spiritual armour features a lot, but we range through scripture. And again, it's written in sh- very short chapters dealing in the specifics of, of, of how to build resilience as a Christian. And I think that's out next summer, God willing. Okay. Well, it's, it's been great talking to you. You've been a great friend to the Free Church of Scotland. You know, you seem to like Scottish Presbyterians and we uh, shows your Catholic nice. spirit. Most of my my heroes are, uh, yeah, a, a dead Peter Baptist, and not a few of them are a dead Scottish Peter Baptist, David. Yeah. The best kind. Okay, well, thank you so much. <laughs> Apologies to our watchers and listeners. Um, I'm doing this from uh, the Highlands and Islands, where the internet connection is a little bit unstable. So I know a couple of points, it was a bit wobbly. But thank you for for listening. Listen to our other generation podcast. I think I'm going to blow this back again because he's opened up, up so many seams there that we want to chat to him. Uh, Lewis, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, David. <laughs>